I'm jumping in with a quick message that I've added to all HR Coffee Time episodes to let you know that my group programme, Inspiring HR, is back. In case you haven't heard of it before, it's an intensive six-week programme for mid and senior level HR and people professionals. So if you're an HR business partner, HR manager, head of HR or HR director, or the people equivalent, so a people business partner, people manager, head of people or people director, and you'd like to build your confidence, your credibility and your impact at work, Inspiring HR could be perfect for you. We get started on Wednesday the 5th of June 2024 when we'll be meeting up over Zoom for two hours every week. The group sessions are a blend of group coaching, training and facilitation. They're supportive, encouraging and practical and each week has a slightly different focus. So in week one, we look at setting yourself up for success. Week two is about boosting your confidence. Week three focuses on being strategic in your role. Week four is all about building key relationships. Week five takes a deep dive into influencing at a senior level. And the final week looks at planning for the future. There's a link with the full details in the show notes for you. Or you can learn more by going to my website, Bright Sky Career Coaching, clicking on services and then clicking on Inspiring HR Group Programme. I would love to have you join us and to get to know you throughout the programme. But if you have any questions about Inspiring HR at all, please feel free to ask by getting in touch through the website and I would be very happy to answer them for you. Welcome to HR Coffee Time with me, your host, Faye Wallace, a career and executive coach with a background in HR and I'm also the creator of the HR Planner. I am really excited about sharing today's episode with you. As you know, the purpose behind this podcast is to help you have a successful and fulfilling HR or people career without working yourself into the ground. And one thing I've been asked to cover in more detail by lots of you is strategy. Because you want to feel more confident about creating an HR or people strategy for the organisation you work in. So I'm hoping this episode is going to really help you build that confidence, which will then help you succeed in your career. It's one of several episodes I have plans on releasing throughout the rest of this year and beyond. You'll get to hear from some incredible guests who will all be sharing their own experiences of strategy with us. Although you'll know how much I love books, I'm forever recommending different reads to you. Nothing quite beats being able to hear firsthand from someone else who has done what you would like to achieve for yourself. In this episode, you're going to get to meet the fabulous Kelly Vincent, who is Head of People and Culture at a fast-growing educational technology company. She shares how she created a powerful people strategy for the business. Not only was it the first people strategy the business had ever had, it was also the first time Kelly had created one. And as you'll be able to tell from listening to her speak, she clearly did a brilliant job with it. And she has very generously agreed to share her learnings from the experience and her advice with us all today. If you've never written a strategy before and you're worrying about it or putting it off, 
I hope you're going to really enjoy learning from Kelly and that hearing what she has to say will put your mind at rest and inspire you to get started. But if you're listening and thinking, actually Faye, I'm pretty experienced at creating strategy. I'm not sure I need any of these episodes. I'd still love you to give them a try because I think there is just so much we can learn from hearing other people's stories and experiences. They can help spark new thinking and ideas for making even more of an impact at work. Let's go ahead and meet Kelly now. I know that everyone listening is going to be intrigued to learn about your experience of creating your people strategy because it's the first ever people strategy that the business you work for has had. So my question for you now is whether the company realised they needed a people strategy and asked you to create one or whether you joined the company and then you suggested that a strategy was needed. So interestingly, it was almost a mutual decision. I knew that going into my next role, I wanted to create and and be responsible for a coherent people strategy. And when I was looking for for that next sort of career move, that was one of the key things that I was quite keen on is that ownership of a people strategy and delivering those objectives. Now, during the interview process, I had a discussion with our CEO, who I report directly into. And it was his vision as well that the company's continued growth, we're kind of growing about 30 to 40% year on year, required a bit more of a structure for that people team. So he didn't have an idea necessarily of what that looked like, what the people strategy needed to focus on, but he knew that he wanted something a bit more formalized. So kind of together through speaking with him at interview and then subsequently when I got the role, it was kind of then laying out exactly to make sure that we're both on the same page about what this company now needed as we were growing from strength to strength. So yeah, it was a mutual realization that this is what the company needed and I was the best person to to deliver that. Luckily, I got the role. So that's great. And it was great because that meant that I had the full trust and support to to really go ahead and, and deliver on the people strategy. And so far, so good. Well, it's great to hear that it's so far so good. And once you decided to get started with creating the strategy, what was your first step? I started the role in October 2022, so I'm still relatively new with the company. But luckily, I did have some time, although not much, just to get used to the business, see how they operate, get to know the staff, see what policies and processes we already had in place and how they did work, whether they worked sufficiently and effectively or actually whether there were some gaps there that we needed to look at. So really did take that time before even diving into the actual people strategy itself. That took around four weeks for me to really embed in the company culture, understand what was working, what wasn't, and speaking to managers and employees and getting their views and their thoughts on where the company is now versus maybe where we'd like to go. As I said, I kind of reviewed current policies, current benefits, and really just started to form a picture of what we had versus what I envisioned for the company in the next, you know, one to, to two years, three years, potentially. And how easy was it to get all of that information and really start to get to grips with an organisation? Because four weeks is still quite a short amount of time, isn't it? It is. And I think, you know, it's always better to have longer. But given that the people strategy needs to be in effect from January, there isn't a lot of time. I'm quite fortunate that I work with a company that is very open 
we've got quite a sense of community. So speaking to managers, their honest feedback was given without me having to pry it out of them. The same with our employees. So it wasn't as difficult as what I thought. The difficulty came in collating as much information, as you said, in such a short time to really understand the business. So even now, I think there's little things that I've put in the people strategy that have chopped and changed as we've gone along throughout the year. Just purely the more you learn, I think the more you do have to adapt anyway. I think that's a really valuable insight for people to hear because there can be a real danger with creating something like a strategy where you think, oh, I've got to get it perfect. And often that's when you grind to a halt because you think, but I I don't know everything. So how can I possibly write this? So I think it's incredibly helpful for people hearing you talking about that, Kelly. No, 100%, definitely. So once you had got to grips with the organisation, you had had that four weeks of really getting to know it and gathering all of that information. What came next with forming the strategy? Gosh, now came the mayhem, if I'm honest. I think firstly, I had so many ideas and I was so energetic and so excited to implement the strategy and really run with it that I actually almost had to take a second to, to sort of pause and breathe and just make sure I I wrote everything down, you know, every policy and benefit and incentive I'd ever imagined. I just wrote it all down, got it out of my head. So I was able to then focus. I then took time to kind of really consider what key areas of focus I wanted for this year. You know, as I said, there's so many ideas, you can't implement them all in year one. Uh, There's not the budget, there's not the time, there's not, you know, the resource to to implement everything in one year. Also, it would make my job redundant if I did it all in, in one year. So effectively, it was drilling down those main pillars of the strategy and trying to align those to the overall business strategy as well. So once I was able to drill down to our core focus areas, I could then look at all the ideas, all the improvements or incentives or benefits that I wanted to bring into the company and bring into the strategy and see which one of those really fit within the the key pillars for the year. So for 2023. And then the next layer, I suppose, to that was then understanding what, what was involved with each of those ideas. So the time to actually bring those to fruition you know was this a quick win that we could implement in January and we could see results by February or was this a resource that was going to take six to to nine months of my time to really bring about equally did it involve other departments and did they have time to support me in implementing that so it really wasn't a kind of sit down for two days in in an office and you have your strategy written it was a constant work in progress and, and speaking to other departments and reworking and a draft of drafts until you got to the the finished product but yeah I think that next step is really trying to then focus and really think about what the outputs are going to be not just so much about all these great ideas but are they really going to deliver and match what the overall business strategy is looking for does your people strategy align to that so that took some time but yeah we finally reached three pillars we were quite happy with those And then we were able to kind of drill down into the detail after that. It's great to hear the whole process that you went through. And it sounds like any of these things, like it's a little bit messy, isn't it? I think when we read about something in a book, it can seem just so, I don't know, so clear. And you think, oh, yes, that's fine. I'll 
use this format or pop my ideas in here. But when you actually sit down and start doing it, you realise that there's a bit more to it. And it's really interesting to hear you talk about the fact that you properly thought through how much time and resource was going to be needed for each thing and what the output was going to be. Because I'm definitely someone who is guilty of getting very excited (laughs) about things and just thinking, oh, yes, let's go ahead with that without necessarily taking that step back. That's something I really have to learn to do. And obviously, I'm not responsible for a people strategy anymore. Well, I suppose I sort of am in my very tiny business, but I haven't got a formal people strategy written down. But of course, I am responsible for my business strategy. And it's exactly the same thing. It's very easy to think, oh, gosh, that would have a great impact. And that would be a really exciting thing to do. But actually, it's just so important to take that step back. Yeah, no, 100% agree. And I think when you actually really start to think about the resource and the time it would take, I think sometimes that automatically helps shape your strategy. Because again, you don't have necessarily the time or that resource to implement that process or or initiative or, or benefit at that moment in time and and it did kind of almost at certain points force me to think actually is this a a better benefit or initiative that we can launch the next year you know I I have a book of of spilled over ideas for for 2024 that didn't quite make it into this purely just from a time perspective cost perspective a whole bunch of other factors that you really do need to think about before you just launch your strategy. One of the things you've mentioned a couple of times is the fact that you settled on this three pillars format. Can I ask you how you came up with that? Yeah, of course. So the overall business strategy has three pillars itself. So I kind of like the idea of threes. But one of the key pillars is happy employees, happy customers. And there was a a few incentives and initiatives that the business has put in there over a three-year period that they believe is part of their business strategy will obviously help the business. I kind of drilled down into what they had an overarching feel for and drilled that down into more of a people strategy. So what came from that was naturally, you know, happy staff, happy clients. I kind of focused then a lot more on engagement. So making sure that our staff are feeling engaged, feeling valued. I'm a big believer that if your staff are engaged, they do feel valued and they are then equally you know happy or happier in the workplace another one was our recruitment so that's our second pillar purely from a growth point of view we are growing quite quite significantly and it was that focus on making sure that we are still getting the right candidates who have the right cultural fit culture is really big and important in the company I work for so making sure that onboarding process is smooth we're reaching out to the correct candidates on the correct platforms and once they are here retaining those employees it's still a massive part of recruitment and then our third pillar we looked at training so growth and development of our current staff as we grow as a company but again as we grow with our client base and our product base we need to obviously make sure that our staff can keep up with their training and their knowledge so the three pillars really did come from the overall business strategy and pulling pieces from the business strategy that linked to our people and our employees. Well, that makes complete sense. And again, it's incredibly helpful to have you talk us through it, because I know that one thing that, again, holds people back from actually writing their strategy and creating it is this panic of what should it look like? How should I format it? Should it have pillars? Shouldn't it have pillars? So 
it's great to hear you explaining how it really just pulled directly through from the overarching business strategy. And I can imagine as well, that's probably going to make it a much easier sell and easier for people to get their heads around within the senior leadership team if they can so clearly see, oh, it's a similar format, it's a similar idea, and it very clearly ties in directly to what we're trying to do as an organisation. Yeah, that's exactly it. If you can relate your policy to the wider business policy, you are more likely, as I've found, to get that buy-in from your senior stakeholders, your your senior management team, your strategy board, because they can see where the benefit is, they can see the impact and where it will obviously then impact their objectives and their KPIs. So it's a win-win. You just touched on KPIs, and that is something that I wanted to ask you about. How are you measuring the effectiveness of your people's strategy, and what metrics or KPIs did you decide to use? We kept a few existing ones that we've always had even prior to to me starting. wouldn't necessarily say they're key KPIs, but they focus on, you know, ensuring all of our quarterly one-to-ones have taken place. So it's more of a management KPI. And keeping our best companies results. So we take part in an external best companies process where you get rated as an employer. But then we introduced some new KPIs in line with, again, the pillars and making sure that they were able to reflect whether that was working or not. I think our biggest KPI is our employee net promoter score. So every month we send out an anonymous survey to our staff to complete with a scale of one to 10 on how likely they would recommend Computeam as an employer. So we average around 75% or more. That's our target, which for net promoter score, I mean, anything 50% or or above is is relatively world class. But again, I think that allows me to be proactive and reactive. If I see our scores dropping that month, can kind of look at, well, what do we do differently this month? What have we maybe tried to to bring in or or have taken away or changed and, and kind of really see almost instant feedback as to how our staff feel about the company. We have a few standard KPIs that maybe a lot of businesses use, such as absence rates. So again, you know, absence usually tells a tale of whether people are suffering maybe with work-related stress or mental health. If you see a peak in in your kind of absence rates, maybe tells a story. Equally, our turnover. So again, if we aren't retaining those employees, that obviously says something to us. But we also then added in recruitment time to hire. So we now average a turnaround of about 90 days from advertising to starting. And again, that to me is a reflection on whether our recruitment pillar to the strategies and the the finer details that we put in line for the recruitment side of that pillar to see whether that's actually paying off and is doing what we expected it to do. So are we targeting the right candidates in the right place? Is our onboarding process and our interview process effective? And therefore, are we filling roles within an appropriate time? And our final KPI is a CPD hours log. So again, linked to that training log, we do track to see whether all of our staff are completing a required number of CPD hours per year. Again, just to support that training pillar. And again, if we're not seeing that result, is that maybe a buy-in issue so our employees don't see the importance of training or is that a, a time management thing that we need to look at? Metrics and KPIs are something that I know feel really daunting for a lot of people. And I think the fact that there are so many possible 
KPIs and metrics that you can use within HR and the people function, especially if you've got a really good HRIS system, is what can make it feel overwhelming. So hearing you really logically talk through, these are the pillars, this is what we were trying to do. So these are the KPIs or the metrics that we're tracking and measuring, I think will just come as a huge relief to a lot of people who listen to the episode and just really help give that clarity and reassurance that it doesn't have to be as daunting or overwhelming that it can seem or feel when you're first approaching something like this. Yeah, I I think that was something that I struggled with. I kind of sat there and when I looked at the KPIs, I thought, gosh, are these quite basic? Are are they not, not adventurous enough? And then when I really took the time to look at it, I thought, but this is what I need to report on. This links directly to my strategy. So it may seem basic in the sense of, well, everybody monitors absence and everybody monitors turnover, but equally it tells a story and it's it's just as important as maybe some of the more adventurous KPIs that that some businesses track. So yeah, I would I would definitely say it is daunting to pick a KPI, but I think if you can relay back to why it's an important KPI, then you, you can never go wrong. For anyone who is still feeling a bit daunted about the idea of using data or KPI or measures in any way, there is another episode of HR Coffee Time that you might find helpful. I'll pop a link to it in the show notes for you. But in case you want to just scroll back on your podcast player that you're listening to this on, once you finish listening to this episode, of course, it's episode 58, How to Feel More Confident Using Data and Analytics in Your HR Role with guest Angela Moyle. And I've had loads of positive feedback about that. I've even had CIPD students writing to me to say that they referenced it in their assignment to pass their CIPD qualification. I think that's the only episode I've had people tell me that about. But anyway, anyway, coming coming back to you, Kelly, and coming back to the main part of the show, something that's really struck me as you've been talking is the amount of detail and thinking and thought and time that has obviously gone into your strategy. And a common complaint amongst the HR and people community is lack of time, especially for people who are working in small teams or who are in standalone roles. They'll often say, oh, all of my time is spent on operational stuff and firefighting. How on earth can I carve out the time to actually be strategic or even think about writing a strategy? So it would be great to hear what your thoughts on that are and how you have managed to carve this time out. Yeah, time time is always precious in HR, isn't it? I think everybody shares that same problem and and reoccurrence of you set aside some time and and then something else comes up that you you kind of have to divert. For me, I tend to work, especially if I'm doing a big piece of of a project or a policy or or something like a strategy, I tend to try and block it out. I'm not one of those that can sit there for four hours and give undivided attention to it. So I would tend to put half an hour, 40 minutes aside in my diary, maybe once every two or three days and really have that focused time. Now, I know, as I said, it's easier said than done in HR. We all probably appreciate that. But when it is something as important as a people strategy or a new policy or an incentive, it's just having that discipline to kind of say, I will get to the other issues eventually. They will still be there in 40 minutes time. So unless it is a major emergency, I really just have to almost be firm with myself. And if it's in the diary, 
it's just as as if it was a meeting with somebody or a call just like I've taken time out for this podcast it's the same importance and really give it that that time and and energy that it deserves easier said than done but but yes it, it, I, I managed it there's something to be said for chip chipping away at things isn't there I think so many of us just dream that one day we'll wake up and our calendar is magically empty for a whole week. (laughs) There are so many projects and things I would love to do. And if I was to wake up tomorrow and suddenly saw, oh my gosh, I've magically had a whole new week inserted into the year, you think, oh, then you can finally do it. But actually, the reality is that by breaking things down into these tiny little chunks of time, that's often the way of doing them. So... Again, it's just so valuable, I think, Kelly, people to hear your firsthand experience of how you've done it and that you can get it done just giving yourself those smaller chunks of time rather than waiting for a whole day to suddenly be free or whole weeks to be free. Yeah, no, definitely. And then looking back on your entire experience then of coming up with the strategy, refining it, launching it, monitoring it. What advice or tips would you give to someone who's about to create an SME's first people strategy? Quite fitting. We've literally just spoken about managing time, but I think don't underestimate how long it might take you. Naively, I kind of sat there and thought, this will be done in two days. I've got all these wonderful ideas and all I need to do is just put them down on a spreadsheet and I can walk away and and it's done. And as you've heard today, it, it's not that simple. It is, you know, time to really look at your resource and, and kind of drill down into the detail. So always give yourself more time than, than maybe what you need. And I guess also just taking that time to to understand the business. As I said, you know, understanding where it wants to grow, understanding what is important to that business. So for us, it was maintaining that culture as we grow, you know, understand the business strategy and how the, your strategy, your people strategy will link into it is really important. As I've said in this podcast already, getting that buy-in from the wider business is always going to make your strategy easier to implement and to to pass and get through. And I think the final bit, which which I did do as well, is you know, speak to employees and senior management. Ask them what they feel, you know, maybe needs improving or what does work or what maybe their areas of, of concerns are. Now, again, you can't fix everything all at once, but if you understand how some of your your employees are feeling, then you're in a better position to kind of start somewhere. You know, people strategy is just that. It is a people strategy. So how better to to write one other than speaking to the people and and kind of seeing what what they also feel and, and value? Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your experience and this brilliant advice and wonderful tips for everybody. I really appreciate it. And I know that everyone listening will appreciate it as well. For my very final question, before I say goodbye, I'd love to ask you the question that I ask nearly every guest who comes on the show. And that is, what is your nonfiction book recommendation that you have for us? So I'm actually cheating slightly because I haven't actually finished it myself. I started reading it this week, but it has been on my bookshelf for a few weeks now. My friend bought it for me. It's called Take Back Your Power by Deborah Liu. 
So Deborah is the current CEO of Ancestry, and she used to be on the leadership team for Facebook and PayPal. So she's got some really good experiences. It's a relatively easy read. So for those who don't have a lot of time, it is quite a quick read, but really good for empowering women, especially if you're in a typically male-led industry such as technology, which I'm in currently. And really good if you also suffer with a bit of imposter syndrome. She provides you with these 10 rules of of taking back your voice and really giving yourself power. So yeah, one that I'm really enjoying at the minute. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Whenever I get to this part of the interview, Kelly, I'm sort of half hoping the guest is going to share a brilliant book. And I'm half hoping that it will be a good book, but that one that I'm not <laughs> going to feel I've got to buy because my pile of reading books is just so out of control, but I think I'm going to have to buy that one. It sounds absolutely fantastic. No, she's good. I would recommend it. Well, all that leaves me to say now is a huge thank you again. I think I must have said thank you about a million times today, but hopefully that helps you know how much I really do appreciate you being here. No, thank you. And and thank you to yourself for obviously giving me the opportunity to come on your podcast and to have such a wonderful chat with you during the podcast, but also leading up to the podcast as well. It's It's been great. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm really pleased you've enjoyed the experience. No, it's been, no, it has been really good. And hopefully if, if anybody can take anything from this, then, you know, then that's, that's even better. Kelly shared so many fantastic tips with us. I thought it would be helpful to give you a really quick recap of her key points because I know how hard it can be to remember everything when you get to the end of the episode. So some of the key things we learned from her were that she had buy-in from the CEO with creating the strategy right from the beginning. And she also talked to us about how important it is to get that senior leadership buy-in. She spent time getting to understand the business and the people within it, as well as reviewing what was already in place. She also said, the more you learn, the more you have to adapt as you're writing your strategy and creating it, which I really liked hearing because it shows us that actually your strategic plan is a living, breathing thing. It's not just something that you set and forget. She talked about how helpful it was getting all of her ideas out of her head and onto paper so that she could focus when she was starting off with her planning. She also shared with us the fact that you'll probably have more ideas than you can implement in one year, so it's really important to prioritise. The importance of aligning the people strategy with the overall business strategy came through loud and clear. She mentioned the importance of identifying what the outputs from your strategy will be and assessing how long it will take you to achieve the goals you've set in the people strategy. Things you also need to think about are, are your plans going to need to involve other departments? If so, do they have the time and the resources to support you? I like the fact Kelly shared with us that she has a book that she describes as her spilled over ideas, where she writes down everything that didn't make it into the current strategy. So she doesn't forget all of those fabulous ideas and can implement them in the future if she wants to. When it came to talking about the format of her strategy, she'd chosen three pillars because that aligned really well with the overall business strategy that also had three pillars. The KPIs that she chose to put in place were really practical ones that linked in well with what she had created. 
I thought it was really useful to hear how she made time to create her people strategy. And I would love to hear how you make the time to create yours. Please do let me know. That's a question I'm always asked about a lot. And of course, you can always reach me on LinkedIn. I'm there as myself, Faye Wallace, and that's Faye without an E on the end. And Wallace is spelt with an I-S on the end. I always absolutely love hearing from you. So please do feel free to get in touch if you'd like to. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please can I ask you for a small favour? I'd be hugely grateful if you could do two things for me. Firstly, if you could share the podcast with a friend who you think will find it interesting and useful, that would be brilliant. And secondly, if you could rate and review HR Coffee Time for me on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be wonderful. It makes such a difference in helping the show get discovered by more people. And I would love to help as many HR and people professionals as possible with this free podcast. Thank you so much. And I look forward to being back again next Friday with the next episode.